Välkommen till Vinmonopolets podcast. I panel i dag sitter programleder Trond Erling Pettersen. Okay, my name is Luis Gutierrez. I I write about uh, wines from Spain, Argentina, Chile and the Jura. <laughs> For Wine Advocate, the, the publication of uh, Robert Parker. Uh, I've been doing this for almost six years now. I am from Spain. I'm based in Madrid. I live in Madrid. Uh, I used to say I live in <laughs> I live in trains, planes, and <laughs> yeah, I, I travel a lot uh, within within my regions uh, to taste wines and write about uh, about wines. And uh, you have uh, written a book called The New Vignerons. Uh, could you please tell us a bit about yes. that book or, or the project? Well, you know, the, my work is mostly tasting notes, uh, writing about uh, wines, and uh, and creating a hierarchy of wines with a with a scoring system that we use between fifty and hundred points. Uh, but to me, there's a lot more to wine than just that. Uh, so to me, context is very important and context I mean the places, the people, the local culture, the gastronomy which to me wine is integral part of gastronomy and I wanted to write about uh, all this context for Spain, it's only about Spain. So uh, I selected 14 uh, producers in different regions not necessarily the most famous, you know, because that would have been, say, fairly easy. Uh, so I wanted to show people in different regions. So, you know, selecting one guy in each region, you know, automatically excluded others working in the same region. And, you know, and of course, all books uh, have uh, spatial limitation, which we don't have on, on uh, Internet. Uh, most of my work is to be published on, on internet. Uh, we, we still have a, a printed edition of the Wine Advocate, but most of our subscribers uh, are on internet. So on in the internet you have no limitation. I can write as long as I want. In, in a book you have, a, of course, a limitation. So I wanted to um, give this context about the different regions of Spain and, very important to me, show what the places look like. Uh, because ideally, I would want you to go to all this region and discover what is the Ribera Sacra, what is Priorat that maybe, you know, people have seen photos, but, you know, there are places like uh, the Sierra de Gredos, the Gredos Mountains close to Madrid, which, you know, people have never seen. Uh, and in fact, maybe they have now heard some of the names of the producers, but they don't really know where they where they work and where the vineyards are. Yeah. So the the visual part of the of the book was very important. And in fact, the book is not my book; it's a book of me and a friend who's a photographer. And this was also an excuse to travel together to see all these guys to to take photos. And we I made them all cook. Yeah. and made them cook the uh, regional dishes that normally go well with the, with the wines from the region. Yeah. And we enjoyed those uh, together. My friend, the photographer, the, the producers, and uh, that, was, that was great, you know. Uh, 
Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, and unfortunately, since this is a sound interview, we yeah can, we, we cannot show, show any pictures, photos. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but um, and one more thing, because we are um, from the monopoly in Norway, and also because in Norway, way the the, um, the laws on advertising for alcohol is very strict, so we can't speak about uh, the the different producers. Yeah, but maybe uh, could you describe uh, some of the regions, some of the most spectacular wine regions that you have visited and, and describe the landscape yeah there. I mean we have we have places like the Canary Islands which people associate to tourism and holidays uh, there are incredible uh, vineyards there and they are very different uh, in the book there's there's a project from Tenerife but there, there is an amazing uh, region in Lanzarote called La Geria, which is all black volcanic soils and the vines are buried in a, in a hole, each of them, which looks like the moon, it's unbelievable. Uh, and that's a, you know, a subtropical climate where the challenge is to, to, to produce fresh wines and wines with freshness and, and places like the north of Tenerife, you know, it has a much cooler place than the south, even within a small island, yeah. you know, the difference between the north and south is, is incredible. Yeah. Uh, then if you get to, uh, to, the, to the mainland Spain and you enter the south, we have uh, Jerez, Sherry, uh, you know, where it's very dry and, you know, the, there is no vegetation, uh, the vineyards, the soils are white, white like uh, if you have seen the vineyards of Champagne. It, in fact, there is a, a lot of things in common between sherry and Champagne. Yeah, lots of chalk in, yes. the, in the soil. Yes, so the, 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 let's say the, the soils are pure chalk. So it's uh, white and almost nothing. You, know, it's, it's a, you, you wouldn't believe something grows there. Uh, and that's sort of the Spain we picture here in cold Norway. We picture the hot, sunny Spain with almost no rain, and it's dry, and it's uh, it's yes. hard. Uh, it's hard to to keep the the alcohol level down and uh, to have freshness in the wine. But yeah. there are a lot of diverse wine regions in. Well, Spain. of course, yes. I mean, we started in a subtropical uh, Canary Islands, but if we if we go all the way north uh, to the northwest, we have Galicia. Uh, which has more in common with uh, with Scotland than uh, than uh, with Jerez, you know. So it's it's green. Uh, the landscape is green. It rains, you know. It's not as as warm as it is in in the south. Um, and and the wines, of course, have a, m a lot more influence from the Atlantic uh, Sea. We we tend to say uh, Atlantic. Uh, wines for you know cooler climate and Mediterranean uh, wines for you know warmer climate of course in Spain we have the Mediterranean and we have the Atlantic so that makes sense but sometimes for people people tend to understand Mediterranean but maybe they do not understand Atlantic wines. so people in Spain tend to talk about Atlantic wines and this is an example Galicia so we have like Rias Baixas where, where the, the main grape is Albariño which is a very aromatic uh, white grape. But inland Galicia, there are amazing places like Ribeira Sacra, yeah. which are the banks of, uh, of three rivers. The main river is the Sil, uh, and it's a landscape. Uh, if you know the Mosel in Germany, or the Douro in or Portugal, or Priorat in Spain, mm -hmm. 
pretty similar to that you know the yeah. banks of the rivers with uh, you know steep slopes with with slate soils and you know very old vines but you know much much cooler and and uh, wetter than than Priorat, for example which is very dry yeah super dry mm. and the main grape there is the mencia the main red grape in uh, in this inland part of galicia in in uh, ribeira sacra is mencia but in most of these places the the old vineyards were planted with a blend of grape varieties meaning they made the blend of the wine in the vineyard so they planted mostly mencia but they planted also a little bit of garnacha tintorera they planted a little bit of uh, even white grapes you know and they and they pick them all together and uh, you know as the different varieties have different cycles uh, some are riper and some are greener so some have you know more sugar and some others have more acidity so you create your balance in the vineyard which is very interesting and you know it nowadays if you if you do it in the winery you have you know more uh, chances of of uh, you know using different blends and whatever yeah, and adapting more, more control now yeah. in the modern uh, and in age. the in the past they had to uh, to do that in in the vineyard and they did that by by trial and error uh, mm. yeah uh, and all these people that you have met uh, throughout Spain and interviewed um, what would you say they have in common because some are old oh, not old but some are young and some are older some are quite new to the wine. Uh, to winemaking, some have done it for 20 years, yeah. they're in different regions, uh, what would you say is a common theme? I think that the common theme is respect for local traditions and local grape varieties and, uh, and trying to understand what the places bring per se uh, and trying to forget about the formulas. You know, I think in the past there's been uh, 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 big mistake trying to apply a formula and trying to replicate you know successful wines you know whether yeah. it's Bordeaux or Rivera del Duero mm. so you know if people heard you know oh Peter Sisek is making pingus with 200% new oak and tempranillo blah, blah. well they planted tempranillo in the Canary Islands and they tried to do that in a subtropical place with a and it didn't work. Of course, it doesn't work, you know, the, the, because it's the place that is unique. Uh, so I think these guys have respect for their places and they are trying to find the essence of the different uh, regions, you know, which, which we didn't really have, you know, because we were a country coming out of a dictatorship that lasted 40 years and then we joined, you know, modern times. And and we ignored our, our past and we wanted something modern and we considered that what we had was you know old style and was not good and i think these these guys they are now putting in value these these uh, old grape varieties vineyards and and places and for them i think it's a great competitive competitive advantage uh, if you do the same as the rest of the world, you end up competing on price. And, you know, chances are somebody is going to make it cheaper and maybe even better. So, you know, you have to have something that is unique, you know, and, and the places, the places are unique. Of course, the, the challenge is how to make the wines, you know, different 
and make the wines express this uniqueness of the of the places. Yes, and of course, if you if you only look to the past, then you will make old-fashioned wine, which maybe is not as good as uh, wine that modern technology can help us produce. So somehow you have to choose something from the past and add something new and modern or yeah, creative. I, I think it's I think with our with our modern understanding, you know, uh, we can see, you know, what things from the past made sense and and but they also experiment, you know. Uh, it's not it's not easy. It's not obvious to say, well, this, this is the good things and these are the bad things. You know, you have to you have to think and and part of this process is, you know, what what they are doing and and the challenge is you only have one chance per year because you only have one harvest. Uh, so you know, yeah, it's a, it's a process that uh, it it's slow, and there's only one chance per year to uh, to make adjustments. So it's it's a uh, it's a quest, and it's a it's a it's a challenge to to get to this, and and that makes it fascinating. Uh, there is a certain movement towards the same things in different countries as well. You see it in France and Italy that. Uh, younger winemakers are going back to to the traditional grape varieties, uh, old vines, and uh, and uh, going back to learn how their forefathers made the the wine. What makes these guys sort of uniquely Spanish? Is there something that separates uh, this this um, these new uh, vignerons in Spain from yeah. the people in France or Italy? Well, you know what you said. This is not exclusive to Spain. Uh, this is happening all over the world. Maybe in other European countries, let's say, the, these traditions and these regions were more established. Uh, you know, in France, the Burgundy vineyards have been classified for a long time and people know, you know, the characteristics of each plot, you know, yeah. even in Bordeaux, you know, the brands were, were created, there was a hierarchy of the brands and, you know, in Champagne, the villages are classified, you know, there's nothing like this in Spain. Uh, no, in Spain, it's more uh, around the method of winemaking, I feel well, like, it was, in, in Rioja or it uh, was more, Sherry, it's it more, was how more you make about the process than the place, you know, so maybe we are a little bit behind uh, trying to find this, this identity, but, you know, the movement is common and it's also common in, in, uh, in South America, for example, in Chile and Argentina. People are also trying to understand, you know, the specificities of the places and, you know, and what the expression of the different places are. In South America, of course, they are not as lucky as we are to have hundreds of uh, local grape varieties. In South America, they only have, you know, European grapes and, you know, they would kill to have two or three grape varieties. And we have hundreds and we have been ignoring them for a long time. Fortunately, you know, these guys are, are you know, adding value and people are valuing and, and are acknowledging uh, the these, these grape varieties. That at one time, you know, it, people consider them, you know, unable to make great wine. Uh, 20 years ab ago, nobody talked about uh, Garnacha, Cariñena, Monastrel. Yeah, this, and these grapes are sort of the new stars of this uh, new Spanish uh, wave or Spanish generation. But before these if you had these grapes in your vineyard, you were considered unlucky? People thought they were useless? 
Well, yes, because if if they thought about the industrial age of wines, you know, where 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 the focus was on volume rather than quality, uh, the wines were no good. So people assumed that the grapes were unable to make great wines. Uh, the the problem was that the, the grapes were treated in the wrong way, you know, and they and then we thought the French grapes were better than ours, you know, so we, you know, we had a, an inferiority complex and, uh, and in many places we, we replaced uh, Spanish grapes with, uh, with Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, you know, and the grapes that were famous because the French wines were famous. And in some regions like uh, Navarra, Penedes, Montano, they almost got rid of everything and then they just planted this. And at the time, it seemed like, you know, that was the future. Uh, it would have been a very boring future because, you know, everything would be the same. And not uh, as good as what you were trying absolutely, to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and now, well, these, these regions are suffering, you know, because they have more of, a, of an identity crisis trying to find, you know, their DNA because they, they almost killed it. Uh, fortunately, there's still some Garnacha in, in Navarra, and some people are going back to that. In Penedes, of course, uh, which is the part of Catalonia where most of the Cava, the sparkling wine, is produced, they have uh, these local grape varieties for the sparkling wine, so they can make now s still wines with this and so on. So they're finding their way out, but you know, but the ones that, that really went, went full-time for, for the French varieties, they, they suffered. Huh? Uh, and these uh, people, uh, the new generation in Spain, uh, they are also travelers, you write in your book. They, they have been uh, out in the world and tasted the, most of the world's greatest wines, and they are being inspired by that. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the problems is, is being isolated, and that was the, the one thing that happened in Spain. Spain was closed, people were not traveling, you know, there was no wines from the rest of the world. And even people within the regions, they only drank their wines, they only, you know, maybe knew the wines from their neighbors, but that, that was it, you know. And when people tell me, okay, what do I have to do to make great wine? You know, what I tell them is, okay, you have to travel and you have to spend a fortune buying great wines from all over the world. And, you know, you have to taste, you know, all styles, all prices, you know, cheap, expensive, white, red, uh, powerful light everything and and this is something that this generation has in common they have had access to uh, to travel to the wine regions to to meet uh, winemakers in in the rest of the world you know obviously in Europe because we're in Europe and, it, and it's fairly easy to travel to the regions in Europe they are now starting to uh, to see what they are doing in, in uh, Chile and Argentina which is far away and even if we have you know the common language and the common culture you know they don't really sell their wines in in spain because spain is a large uh, wine producing country there's not a lot of wine from other countries and if there's something you know france is you know next to us portugal and so on so uh, yeah. yeah this is this is one very very important thing you have to taste drink as as wide as possible and then you take what you have learned uh, you take it back to your home and see what do we have here that we can use to to make wines of the similar quality. yeah you, you take learnings and it it opens your your eyes and makes you understand you know not necessarily copying what they are doing yeah you might take some some of the stuff but uh, i think basically opening your your mind uh the yeah. 
you know, the correlation between the great wines and people who travel, it's incredibly high. Mm. Yeah, so you sort of discover what kinds of stories do the best world, uh, wines of the world tell, and then you and then you take that home and say, what can the Garnacha, what yeah. kind of story can Garnacha tell, or the Gredos Mountains? Or Basically, I think they, what they learn is that they need to extract the the essence of their places yeah. and, and this is what they see if they travel and, and drink uh, widely. Mm. Uh, and uh, you also write in your book that uh, at one point Spain had the, uh, the world's biggest vineyards, mm. uh, produced the most wines, but somehow forgot to, uh, to see that uh, there's a possibility that some of these vineyards can be the best quality-wise in the world as well. Uh, if, if you look into the future, Right now, people possibly think of Bordeaux or Burgundy or maybe some German vineyards as the best in the world, the most exciting vineyards in the world. But if you look into to the future, what places in Spain can be the home of some of the greatest, most famous vineyards in the world, do you think? Well, of course, the classical regions, which in Spain would be Rioja and uh, Jerez, uh, are classical because of something. So there is obviously high potential. I think there is high potential in many, many different regions. And, and of course, the places have the potential, but this potential has to be understood and realized by someone who has the vision. So, you know, this, many of, of, the, of the vineyards that uh, we show in our book, you know, they've been there for hundred years, you know, but some of them, they were making wine to be packing in Tetra Pak, you know, in yeah, carton boxes. In, yeah, in the milk carton. Yes, yes. indeed, yes. Gredos, for example, the, the region close to Madrid, uh, there was basically no bottled wine. Most of the wine was, was put in carton. And, and now uh, there, there are a few vineyards that, that produce some really world-class wines, you know, mm. as good as, as it gets. Mm. Uh, so it's a matter of, of finding these places, understanding these places by someone who has, you know, the vision of the understand and the understanding. So this is why, you know, place and people are, are so important, which is what I, I feature in the, in the book. It's, it's a book about the the places and the and the people and there is no talk about tannins or anything like that. I wanted, <laughs> no, I wanted. It's the stories. I wanted my and mom to be able to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> and has she read the book? Yes, she has. Was yes. she happy? Yeah, yeah. she was. She yeah. Understood yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. So both you and your mom see a great future for uh, Spanish <laughs> wine. <laughs> my mom doesn't really know, but I do. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. I think it's you know it's it's really it's an exciting time for for Spanish wine. Uh, some 15 years ago, you know, people wanted the, to chase the formula and they thought, you know, 100% Tempranillo with 100% New York was the, you know, and or more, you know, if he does this, I will do even more, you know. Uh, and now it has changed uh, because, yeah, if everybody does the same, if, if they all try to do the same wine, that becomes really boring. That was a time when, you know, most of the wines were very, very similar. And nowadays what we have is great diversity. And that is a lot more exciting, you know, because depending on how you feel and what you're eating and what, you know, what time of the year, the weather, you want to drink 
different styles and sometimes you want a fresh white and sometimes you want an old powerful red uh, yeah so um, that is that is what I like you know I don't have a favorite wine if if I was forced to drink j just one wine for the rest of my life, I would die, you know, it would be awful. Even if they say, no, it's Latash, you know, no way, I, <laughs> yeah. I would die. You know, one day you want an Albariño. Yeah, diversity is good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Luis, for, uh, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Vinmonopolis podcast. Have you a idea for a theme Send mail till podcast at vinmonopole.no. I tillägg svarar kundesentret dig på e-post, chatt och telefon.